As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Alex, uh, do we want to talk about the SEC or do we want to talk about a uh, conference that matters on this here split zone duo? I think I want to talk about the only conference that matters when it comes to weeknight football. And Richard, that conference is... Maction! Yeah, very exciting. Uh, last week on the Big Ten preview around these parts, we played a fine game called Sbarro or Culver's. Uh, of course, I would read off a number of statements, and Richard uh, and a guest that we had on last week would say whether they were hot or cold on that statement. Hot like Sbarro's many fine menu options. Uh, or cold like Culver's Custard. Thank you to all who reached out with your stories of student union fast food. It was good to know that the University of Maryland is at least the undisputed king of something uh, in higher education. Uh, And we're going to play the same game, a similar game, uh, at least in terms of format, with the Mac this week. I'm going to provide a statement. Uh, Anyone who is playing the game will then say Domino's if they think that statement is hot and delicious and fresh. Of course, Domino's founded in Ypsilanti, Michigan, home of Eastern Michigan of the Mid-American Conference. Uh, Or if they think the statement is fraudulent, they will say Quicken Loans. And obviously, the only reason to say that is that uh, sometimes, you know, there is uh, fraud in the mortgage business. And we're not saying anything specific about Quicken Loans, though it was, of course, founded uh, in the max footprint and is headquartered in Detroit, where the conference championship are, game is. Everywhere. We are coastal liberal elites who live in punitively expensive cities, so we know nothing about home mortgages personally. No, we don't. But I think we should bring in someone who is going to be paying a mortgage for a really long the rest time. Of his natural born life, probably for the rest of his natural born life. Do you know anyone like that, Richard? <laughs> uh, I do think I have a buddy who does. Uh, Stephen Godfrey. That's the most. De- Welcome to the show. That was the most depressing way I've been introduced into anything. <laughs> See, you don't. don't neither of you have mortgages, so you don't understand. You you really don't understand the the depths of of the the crippling anxiety where you started me off for this program because you don't have mortgages. One of my really good, one of my really good friends, um, he was like at closing when I had when I saw the paperwork for like the last time and we signed the paperwork. I went in the bathroom and threw up, and that is mm-hmm. something that I will never forget. Uh, yeah. We've, yeah, Richard, we've got a lot to we've got a lot to not look forward to. It's very exciting. Uh, the MAC this year, in case anyone needs a primer on that conference, uh, has every team in the league settling right now between 69th and 126th nice. in SP Plus. Nice. Uh, Ohio leads the way uh, at 69th, and then gradually going downward, uh, Buffalo, Ball State, Western Michigan, Central Michigan, Toledo, Miami, Kent State. Eastern Michigan, Northern Illinois, Akron, not last, Bowling Green last. 
Uh, Akron Zips got a first place vote in the preseason coaches poll. Put some respect on their name. That is incredible. Wow, that's yeah, really dumb. That is quite okay. stunning. <laughs> when people stunning. when people talk about how we are living in an era where people will just say anything and truth does not matter, what they are talking about is Akron getting a first place vote in the MAC preseason poll. Uh, but go Zips, and hey, maybe it will turn out to be prescient. Uh, but yeah, last prescient. last year, prescient. I think it's prescient. I'm pretty sure it it's is prescient. not. Prescient. Alex is Please good continue. for one gross mispronunciation, and I'm not even throwing I'm not even throwing the <laughs> Pittsburgh curve into this equation. But he's good for one an episode. I feel like it's Please continue with the show. Uh, last year, Miami beat Jim McElwain in Central Michigan in the conference championship game, 26-21. Seven MAC teams made bowls. Kent State was among them. Kent State won a bowl for the first time in program history. Uh, the MAC was not going to play this year. They canceled on August eighth, uh, a few days before the Big Ten did the same. And then, yeah, and, then what happened? and then what happened? Well, uh, all the cool kids were filing back into the lunchroom uh, a little bit later, and the MAC decided that they also wanted to play football this year. Uh, so MAC football is coming back uh, as of Wednesday night, uh, the the week after the show comes out. But that'll be. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll be on to a new show by the time the Mac is underway. Um, so we're going to start. And uh, I'm going to put this statement to you both. Uh, are you dominoes or quicken loans on this statement? So just to review, Buffalo. just to review, dominoes good, quicken loans disagree bad. Dominoes yeah. is you think that statement is fresh. You really think it's a, it's a hot statement. And quicken loans would be you, you think that statement is a fraud. Yeah, and again, we, we, we got to stop because letting, of the industry. That's just because of the industry. That we got to stop letting Yinzers uh, dictate food quality on this program. But continue. By all means, please continue. Uh, anyway, Buffalo will win the MAC in 2020. Dominoes or Quicken Loans? And I want to first pose this to you, Godfrey, given your ties to the mortgage industry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm gonna. How about a soft Dominoes, which is usually most of the Dominoes that you get. Um, the thing that actually that I want to talk about is yes, I, I like Buffalo a lot. Um, it's going to be. Let's just go ahead and get all the the unfun stuff out of the way. All of the COVID effect that you've seen on deeper, more talented, more moneyed programs. It's probably going to be a lot harder and nastier at this level, and it's something that is legitimately concerning. So when it comes to prognostication, hoy, it's um. It's really if, if if anything, I should go with Quicken Loans picking the field against a favorite because it's just going to be a volatile season. However, um, Buffalo has been such a quiet story. I, I really can't think of a G five program that that has been this kind of consistent and building towards something that hasn't gotten any attention. Like San Diego State kind of reminds me of this situation a little bit, except that Buffalo was in a much worse situation and I'm not talking about geographically shout out to Western New York I've never been there I'm sure you're lovely um the the thing really and we can we don't have to talk about it right now necessarily but like I I don't know if is this the year if you're in the Mac you want to win the conference and then and then get out right is that is that fair to say I mean other unless you're Frank Solich right yeah, we'll come back to him. But I yes. think that that is generally the frame of mind from most coaches right. in most non-power conferences. But yes. So if you're Lance Leipold, um, this coaching landscape and market is going to be probably tighter with less job openings because of the economy and probably going to forget you 
if you can't do this more than once. So I don't know if this is the year to peak and crest necessarily if your goal is to turn Buffalo into your next job. You're talking about keep it at nine and not nine and four because they're only playing whatever, but keep it at like not 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 elite, but good. Well, if it's there, it's there. I mean, I'm not saying you know, sure. I'm not saying don't score the touchdown. Shout out Todd Gurley. I'm just saying let's not let's not make this the memorable year for Buffalo because I think the institutional memory on Mac champions is is shorter than most. Um, and because this conference has such a particular kind of volatile turnover in program quality and coach quality and, and, and the arcs that these coaches take, I'm just saying it's a bad year for you to, to show up and show out because either you're going to get noticed and no one's going to have a job for you or you're just going to be forgotten when the job you want or, or the, the, the logical job you should take actually opens. Yeah, it's interesting the point about instit- institutional memory in the Mac because I think that you you don't get to ride the high of a good year or even two years in the Mac for very long. Uh, and I think that the best example of this is that, if, I mean, if you look at the coaches in that conference the last couple of years who have jumped up uh, after winning conference titles, like Dino Babers goes to Syracuse. I think that if he'd waited another couple of years, given the way that Bowling Green's roster has developed, he might never get a shot at Syracuse. Yeah. Uh, right now, Jason Candle at Toledo, like, you know, could he have followed Matt Campbell up to the Power Five after a year or two when things were pretty good? Maybe, but right now, probably not unless Toledo builds back up. And we'll talk about that again in, in a little bit. But it, it is an issue where you kind of have to strike while the iron is hot. But I, I'm not trying to influence your decision here, Richard, but I will say this. What Leipold was known for when he was in, was it Division Three or two, Wisconsin White? I, I think it's three. Okay. I want to say it's three. When, when he was there, the reputation was consistency and, and our uh, OK. Consistent championships. Exactly. But OKGs building in our, like our particular kind of player program. It's possible I could be wrong about all this, and Buffalo achieves just a particular level of consistency. I'm not saying they win the MAC as much as he did at his previous job. I'm just saying he achieves that level of consistency, and that's what that program who's shopping for him a year or two or three from now respects. And so maybe it doesn't have to be quite as flash in the pan as, like Alex said, with Dino Babers. That's true. That's true. Um, I didn't write anything down for this. Um, I think I'm going to take Domino's. I think I'm going to take Domino's sweet, sweet, cheesy bread on this. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think I think Buffalo's the move here. I think Buffalo's the wave. I love the way they run the ball. Run the ball in some pretty unique ways, um, and it's pretty cool to see. I'm going quick and loans because I think that between like Ohio and Miami and Ball State uh, and maybe one of the Michigans, there are enough teams that could do it and that in the recent past have done it um, that I like the field. I will also say that a wild card that I – think is you know kind of right in the middle of the mac this year in terms of where they are sp plus wise right now is kent state which made a lot of progress last year mentioned they won a bowl game for the first time ever uh if i were to tell you if i were to ask you both who is the highest graded returning quarterback in the country this year according to pro football focus who would you guess that that quarterback would be richard who is it got I actually did know this because um, I can't remember why we did this last year, but I actually watched the tape on the kid, and I was like, wait, this dude's pretty good. Uh He is pretty good. The answer is Dustin Crum. He is Kent State's quarterback. He's a senior this year. 
I don't know that he actually was the best quarterback last year of anyone coming back. That might be a little much, but I do think that um, he is legitimately really good. Like that grade is not totally ridiculous. Uh, and the people who chart games and who you know look at, at these things in depth, a lot of them really like Dustin Crum. Uh, one of my favorite archetypes of a college football player is like the great Matt quarterback. And there have been a lot of them. And other than Ben Roethlisberger, I think in this century, very few of them have done anything of note in the NFL. But this is not uh, this is not an NFL podcast. Intimately familiar. Yeah. Um, you know, Charlie Fry, Omar Jacobs, Matt Johnson under under Dino Babers at Bowling Green, Logan Woodside for sure. Tyree Jackson, uh, just a lot of really fun quarterbacks who put up a lot of numbers. Dustin Crum last year, 20-2 to two touchdowns to interceptions. He was like a top 20 guy across the board in terms of your your main quarterback counting stats, and the nerds love him and think that he has a lot going for him. Uh, it seems like Sean Lewis knows what he's doing, the head coach of that team, and I would be very here for some kind of surprise Kent State run to the top of the MAC. Uh, they have never won that conference. Actually, that might be incorrect. I think they won the conference in 1972. It- I was going to say, if they win the conference, they should build a statue for but Sean Lewis. But I, I would love for those two to just catch fire together and let's just have a weird max season. I mean, it feels like it's inevitable that there will be Hell, a Hell, if they get back season. to a bowl game, they should build a statue of Sean it's, Lewis. Uh, it's just, I mean, I, I, I don't want to judge jobs by facilities. I don't want to judge jobs by, by perceived fan apathy because – I think facilities are overinvested in. I think fan apathy is such a fluid concept, and and every somewhere, everywhere you go, there's someone who cares with all that they can care. Does that make sense? Like there's there is a diehard Kent State football fan out there. I, it's just the the program has not received a lot of support, and I'm trying to be really ginger when I say that. Like it's a bad, hard job, and what Sean Lewis has done is monumental. Um, the again, kind of though, like and not to be a broken record. He went seven and six. They went to and won a bowl, which is monument. I'm ta- like I'm telling you, went to and won a bowl last year, and I don't know if enough people noticed. And so I'm no. worried now. Is this a situation kind of similar to? There are particular jobs where you just you can show your worth as a coach in terms of organizing um, a good staff that recruits and develops and executes but consistency will always elude you because of the job like hawaii is something we talk about a lot because of the mitigating factors out there kent state just may be so deprived that they could only win three or four games this year and that the perception would then be that oh he's not a quality coach when the reality is you just only get so many turns at the wheel where you have enough talent to win more than you lose at a job like that so um He's another guy where it it might be unfortunate that he wasn't recognized earlier, but also like, and I don't want to turn this whole Mac segment into what other job a Mac coach is going to get. Where are they going to go? But I mean, it's just it's just how the conference is framed from the outside. It's just how the sport works. It's how the sport if works. Lewis spends five or six seasons there, I mean, he's been there for two. If he if he spends two or three more there, he will change that program forever. I believe that. He really will. There are programs who have people come through them and really create a positive just, – just they overhaul the identity. Because at one point or another, most of these schools have had that issue, right, where they've been completely hapless and destroyed. And I mean, you can go through and find eras in which you know almost every Mac school was a completely destitute, terrible job. I mean, like 
Western Michigan pre-Flack is not the same is not the same Western Michigan that it is today. Central Michigan. Look at look at how coaches impact that job. So I mean, shit, Urban Meyer. Yeah, you go back to Urban Meyer. Yeah, exactly. So uh, he could stick around and be the hottest commodity if he could stick around and maintain any kind of consistency that floats. And I know they're not playing t- uh, twelve games this year, but if he could float in the five win, six win, seven win, win range. I don't even know if Sean Lewis would have to win the conference to get that Power 5 job. I don't. Maybe not. Uh, Two things. One, I want to say I went to a Kent State football game maybe 10 years ago now when my cousin was in the homecoming court for Kent State. Okay. Uh, Not not too far. How cold was that? It was actually – it was not that cold. It was a Kent State-Ohio game, and Kent State's quarterback was Julian Edelman. Uh, and <laughs> Facts. it was a Facts. it was a fun day. Nice pull. It was my first ever exposure to a fraternity house, and I was you know how old are you? Early early teen. I'm 26 now. No, I no, was no. Probably, when this happens, I was young. I was young. I was in middle school probably. Uh, so that you know, I learned a lot. Learned a lot then. Learned a little you bit did. about that was your first non. That was your first non pit college. I actually, I, it might have been. It, it was one of the first. I learned a lot about the anti-war movement uh, in the May 4th memorial uh, at Kent State. It was a very educational trip. Kent cool. State, nice little college town. Really enjoyed it. Um, and, yeah, and they were great in their bowl game last year. They dropped I wanted, I, I, Utah I, I, State. I want to just project something out there. Just until, And I do this a lot with the Mountain West. And, like, it's why I got so mad the last time I was on the show about, like, what it could be and what I want it to be. There is a potential right now, especially if the market clogs up like it has because of the economy and these guys aren't being shipped off to their next like North Carolina state type job where Sean Lewis and Tom Arth at Akron. And if you don't know, those are uh, those schools are very, very, very close to each other in Northeast Ohio outside of Cleveland, and they are bitter rivals. They're both doormats, basically, like Akron is as bad and as tough a job as Kent State. If those two coaches stay in place for the next five years, you could see a really amazing thing happen in which that not only are they competitors for the MAC title, I really do believe that, but they also create this really cool, really engaging rivalry in, by the way, I might add, one of the best recruiting territories, at least by state, in the nation. They're going to go out and work their butts off to get Ohio guys. Like, I mean, Sean Lewis specifically is a Chicago guy by by nature, and he also played at, at, at uh, Wisconsin, so his footprint is going to sort of follow that. But they're going to recruit and develop Ohio in a way that, like, you could have a really cool story emerge and a really great rivalry come out of the ashes of two doormat programs, which that just pulls at my G5 heartstrings. Cheers to that. Uh, I want to put the next statement, the next Domino's or Quick and Learn statement to you both involving another MAC team in Ohio and the one that has traditionally recruited the best of anybody in the MAC. That is Toledo. Uh, last two years, Toledo went 13 and 12. Last year, they were one of the, the unlucky teams that was bowl eligible and didn't get picked. Uh, the statement posed to you both, Toledo has peaked and is no longer the MAC's surest bet for long-term success. I mean, if, if Lance Leipold's going to be a Buffalo, I think he is the surest bet for long-term success at Buffalo. So I'm going to go quick and loans on this. I think that I don't know how much much time. But but we got you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how much time uh, Frank Solich has left. Uh, But, I mean, if he's there, I think Frank Solich and Ohio is always going to be there. So, yeah, that's sort of how I sort of view that. Frank Solich is not dying. Holy shit. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. Minor correction. He may retire. Excuse me. Minor correction. Um, Sorry about that. Uh, 
Alex, if I disagree with this statement, does that make me quick in loans? Uh, I no. If you agree, if you agree with the statement, then yes. I mean, if you disagree, then that would be quick in loans. I'm gonna go quick in loans here. Again, the game format, the game format is great, but just just answer Malleable. the question. Perfect. Yeah, Malleable. Do you, do, really, it's perfect. Do you think it's that, a bit? Do you think that Toledo has peaked, or do you think that they uh, are okay, you know, so, continually going to be the and over the long haul? Do you believe in them still in the MAC? So we just got done framing all of the MAC in terms of its coaches, and worse than that, in terms of the coaches' <laughs> next jobs. So. To put a little respect in terms of the effort and the actual football product, every year for Athlon, I do all the anonymous coaching like scouting reports for every single team. And so what I do is I, I call coaches in every conference, and I have them anonymous, anonymously size up the, all of the other teams in the conference. And the MAC is one of my favorite to do because I think most of us enter into it and go, okay, well, all these teams are like – there's. There's like a couple bad, and there's a couple exceptional, and then I don't really know about about like eight of these schools. Toledo consistently has been exp- like at least how it is explained to me by coaches in the conference, and and for the MAC elite skill position school, the reason it got to be that way in which you saw skill position talent being recruited by other MAC schools who maybe like this is maybe your Maybe your grades aren't strong enough for the Big Ten. Maybe it's a scratch and dent sale, whatever, JUCO, whatever. Toledo's system and their culture, as it's been told to me, makes it appealing for their skill position talent. So if Jason Candle is not jumping ship anytime soon, and I just got done talking about how I don't feel like a lot of there, there won't be a lot of ports left in the storm in terms of job changes this year, then I think he sticks around, and I think they, I think it's possible that you're looking at an aberration last year and, and they could get back last to two years. Really? Yeah. Last two years. And they could get back to it because I don't know okay. if the system is broken. Yeah. The, the point in their favor for me is that they still have the most talented roster in the conference. And I'm not sure why that would change over the next couple of years. It, I think that we might be able to explain away some of their troubles Particularly, la- particularly last year, uh, by just losing kind of a cornerstone quarterback in Logan yeah. Woodside, and that's hard. You know, if you have a, a multi-year bucket-getting quarterback, it can be hard to fix that right away. So, yeah, I'm interested. I, I guess I would say that I am quick in loans on the statement that Toledo has peaked. Uh, I want to stay in Ohio while we're having Ohio hour here uh, and ask you both one more kind of legacy question about. Mac football in that state, and then we'll talk about something broader. Uh, the statement for your dominoes or Quicken Loans consideration. Frank Solich's Ohio tenure has become more impressive than his Nebraska tenure, and oh, I will... Baby. It's a good I, question. I, Richard thought it up, but I want to just give everyone quick context. Six years at Nebraska. Last year was in 2003. Uh, at Nebraska, 58-19, and 19, 753 win percentage. 16 years at Ohio, 113 wins, 81 losses. That's a 582 win percentage. But now keep in mind that Ohio uh, was not doing too well before he got there. This is a program that had not won the MAC since 1968 uh, and that was quite frequently a doormat, whereas uh, Nebraska in 1998 was uh, not not a terrible job to take. So, Richard. So I... I... <clears throat> I think I want to take Domino's. I want a Domino's cheesy bread this statement. Uh, A, because I came up with it. But B, because 
like over 14 years at Ohio, consistency I'm going to take over, let me, let me see how blown I want to go with this. I don't want to say stolen valor at Nebraska because that would be rude, but he took over Nebraska. I think you'd be fine to say stolen valor. At a point in time when I could have coached Nebraska to at least 10 wins. Now that point in time is not there anymore. Um, But like, let's just take it from 2001, right? 2001, they go 11 and two. Remember he took over Nebraska at a time when, again, Nebraska, great teams. It was right after one of Nebraska's literally best teams ever. Uh, He takes over, they take over in a big 12 where Mac Brown hasn't gotten it booted up yet, just yet at Texas. And then they missed that Mac Brown team in 2001 uh, in the Big 12 championship game. And obviously, uh, Stoops hadn't got it booted up just yet. He was right about to, obviously, when they win the national championship game in, what was it, 2000, 2001? Yep. Um, at Oklahoma. So, I, I don't know. Like, it's, to me, I'm like, the Nebraska that he inherited kept on its on its sort of white-hot burning right at the end there uh, is just different to me than, than having consistent success at, Ohio, right? I, I don't know. Like, I, I just, when I think about Frank Solich's tenure in general, it's it's sort of into acts, uh, so to speak. And then also, there's getting my goat about the 2001 Nebraska team. That's the stolen Valor team. Florida should have been in that national championship game. Anyway. Uh, I'm going to go quick and loans. Um, I had to really think about this one, but I think I'd fundamentally disagree with Richard in that, in that looking at Nebraska as something that was a turnkey operation. I think in hindsight, I'm now thinking about how Solich may have prolonged Nebraska's relevance in what was coming like a tidal wave and what we're experiencing like right kept now. kept it on very impressive life support, but life yeah, support yeah, to I, the last two I, I think, ironically, the stuff that got him run, run out of town for differentiating from, from Tom Osborne and trying to do things a little bit different was, was I mean... They, they, I think he was moving out of necessity to try and he had, yeah, try he and keep the program relevant. And the decline that he suffered relative to what they expected was impossible to mitigate. So I think about the Ohio thing. and it, it, I think that if, you know, I just got done talking about Jason Candle, or we talked about like, what if Sean Lewis and Tom R stayed for a couple of years and kind of had a battle? We don't really know how impressive Ohio is because Nobody ever sticks around the Mac like this and does what Solich has. I think it's very impressive. Four conference championship games. They haven't won the league. Yeah. Four conference championship I think it's. I think it's uh, really impressive, and it's a testament to consistency and all that kind of stuff. And, like, again, we talked about coaches making really making programs and eras uh, in the Mac, except they're just all small. It's all sort of a microcosm. But, I, you know, we don't have anything to compare this to. And so I think it's great, but I, I'm starting to look now at Nebraska in a completely different light. And so that kind of, I guess that kind of colors my answer here. For me, the thing that I compare it to is internal and not external. If you look at Ohio's history, 43 years as an FBS equivalent program before he gets there, they play in two bowl games. He has been there since, this is this will be his 16th year, I believe. Uh, and they have played in a bowl game all but five, all but four years of the first 15. Uh, 
that's that's impressive. And and it's I mean, not six and sixes. I mean, he's got a ten win and a nine. Yeah, they, they are generally. I mean, calling them a six and six program would not be quite right because typically they are much more of a seven to nine win program. I mean, they are solidly good. They're not just head above water. Um, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with agreement on that statement because I think that he is. Anytime you're doing something that just hasn't been done over decades and decades. That catches my eye. Uh, the last thing I want to put to you both, and we can ditch the game format here because I want to talk about this philosophically. Weeknight Maction is back this year. Uh, that is the the opening slate uh, is a bunch of games on Wednesday, November fourth, the day after the presidential election. Which, wow, uh, I'm sure Ooh. things I'm sure things will be going great in the Max footprint on that day. Um, all of these games that week, like the entire sport, the entire conference is opening up on a Wednesday night. The schedule for the MAC this year is very, very heavy on uh, weeknight games. I think even more so than it typically is. Like pretty much. Is every- it? Isn't everybody playing next Wednesday? Uh, everybody is playing next Wednesday, and I think that as we go through the short season, I think that almost all of the MAC games this year, for the first several weeks, are on weeknights, and then as we get to like the very end of November, like right after Thanksgiving, they start to work in some Saturday games, uh, and they'll play this for a few weeks, but it's a very weeknight schedule. The thing that I want to ask you is, is this still good for the Mac to be cast as the weeknight league, uh, to basically be playing for television, no matter how inconvenient? I mean, I I don't want to answer the question before I before I'm even done asking it, but maybe during the pandemic, it's nice to be more of a TV product. I was, I was going to say this year, more than anything, I think you're almost thankful that you're given this sort of exposure life raft, right? Um, like they are, in this year particularly, I think you get washed out if you start, you just get washed out if you start like next Saturday because Pac-12 starts next Saturday. And because of the phased in schedule, right? Particularly in the place, the parts that they inhabit given it's Big Ten country, like you've got Big Ten teams that are still phasing into the schedule, right? Michigan and Michigan State, big rivalry game this weekend. We're going to be talking about that a lot. We're going to be talking about those teams. Ohio State, Penn State this weekend, obviously. Um, so because of that, I honestly think this season is sort of a, the weeknight thing is sort of a differentiation. The funny thing is if you ask me this question in January, I would answer it differently. Because if you ask me this question in January, I would start to sort of play the the sort of party line that I think it's a little played out. Um, also, it sucks for coaches. What is decent about it for game planning, et cetera, is that they are continually doing the Tuesday thing. Like, they are pretty much playing regular Tuesday, Wednesday games, midweek games, I should say, regular midweek games throughout the season to where it's just your regular, you know, game week. Godfrey. Oh man, this is, um, I don't think Alex intended this to be as heavy a question as I'm taking it, but, um, again, having sympathy for the group of five as being the lost dogs of college football, there are a lot of people who are very, very intelligent in the college football community who have told me that this is, this is not good for the Mac in a number of like specific football and academic and even revenue ways. I mean, I'm not saying this to make a joke, but there were empty stadiums long before COVID, and it was because of Tuesday night games in the MAC. However, 
the Mac did not err in doing this. When they made this agreement with ESPN and when they created this schedule, they did it specifically so they could differentiate themselves in an overcrowded market, which, by the way, I might add, unless something happens economically in the next five years because of COVID, it, the market's only going to get more crowded. I would expect more teams at this level than less teams 10 years from now. That's just a fact. Um, FBS level. F- yeah, sorry, level. FBS level. So then I start thinking about it like through the prism of reporting, and I think about the individuals who are at different levels of college football now, all the way from like Dino Babers, uh, Brian Kelly, Butch Jones. I mean, I can I can do this over and over again. Um, you know, uh, Rod Carey, Dave Doran, like all of these people, Matt Campbell, Matt Campbell, all these people who have taken these jobs and springboarded, and regardless of what happened to them after that. I mean, really, with the exception of everyone but Solich and a guy on the decline, kind of like a ter- like Terry Bowden, which was a strange hire to begin with, these weeknight games and these sort of minor narratives that emerge from specifically from people like us and, and our listeners in this community making a thing of it on Twitter when we don't want to watch some dumb show like The Bachelor, that like this is this is the max bread and butter. This is the function. This is this is how they operate and. I don't know if PJ Flex at Minnesota, if we don't all stumble onto Western Michigan two or three times in a in a year when we weren't really looking, because we're just not going to look on Saturdays. That's the reality, and I say that as someone who who puts the G five in front of everything. But even in the G five, it's very very hard to parse out just the Mac. So, if anything, I I think you should find a way. And, and this is so far afield; it doesn't matter right now because of of COVID. But like figure out the attendance problem on, on your respective campuses and cities. And I know it's hard and it's different, but Richard made a good point in that you don't see coaches complain as much and you don't see programs trip as much when they're consistently, consistently playing on the same two day schedule. So in other words, don't go Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Tuesday, go play. (laughs) And that's what they do. Play every Tuesday, every Wednesday, possibly every Thursday. The bottom line is this. There are if you're if you're in conference play in a 12 team league, there's six games, right? You could spread two games a night over three nights. Now Thursday night's contested, obviously, because there's other college inventory and there's also the NFL now. I say make it an entirely weeknight league, or not at all. Ooh. Because but, but because if you do, yeah. I mean, if you have six of these games and four of them are on Tuesday, Wednesday, and then two are on Saturday. One, you're going to have that schedule problem we just talked about on conditioning, on guys guys getting in a rhythm. And like coaches can come on here and just cuss wildly about why that's terrible. <laughs> but also, it's an exposure thing. I mean, I, I just think go all the way in or don't go at all. It's an interesting proposition. The thing that I would like to see, but I would hesitate about it for financial reasons, is totally forget it and just devote yourselves to making your attendance good and making a lot of like really special Saturdays in small towns in Michigan and Ohio, kind of like the day that I had when I was a kid at Kent state, thought it was awesome. There are a few thousand people there. It seemed like the whole town was into it. Obviously that was homecoming, but it was fun. And it was some of the best of what college football has to offer. The question for me is, does your budget work without that? Because these are not hugely profitable programs. And I think that if you get away from weeknight football, ESPN is not going to be, as interested in paying you as many dollars to share your games because on Saturday they have a lot less need for that particular inventory. Uh, thank you both for indulging me in, in this game of 
dominoes are quick and loans. I appreciate God it greatly. God only knows what next week will bring. Keep well, working on it. Oh, shoot. We've, we have another conference. I guess there the is another conference, conference coming, in. coming left last to play. conference in the boat. Uh, I will take us for now uh, from the MAC to a conference uh, that far fewer people care about and where things mean not nearly as much, uh, the SEC West in particular. Uh, Richard, we're going to learn a lot this week about the race for second best in the West, which yeah, is I- what constitutes drama there this year. Uh, quickly, just in case, no, if, in case you don't have the schedule in front of you, uh, a lot of games of angst this week in the SEC West. Uh, LSU at Auburn in that annual affair. Uh, Mississippi State at Alabama. We'll talk about that one in a bit. Arkansas at Texas A&M. Uh, Ole Miss has a crossover with Vandy that promises to be no fun for anybody involved. Dear God. Richard, what are we looking for this weekend in this division? I think all four of the maybe second best teams in the SEC West come into this game with some interesting and sort of are, philosophical who are our four maybes for, for the questions Our four maybes are Arkansas, Texas A&M, LSU, and Auburn. Um, I have my opinion on that, um, which I think is less of a slam dunk, but anyway. Um, I, so Arkansas, right? What happens if the defense doesn't help you, right? What happens if the defense doesn't bring you a turnover or six? What happens if the offense has to carry the day in this game uh, with Texas A&M? Are you really this solid? Right, you've been solid last couple weeks. You really put something together. Florida game is jumping off point. Are you really this solid? And that is going to get into Kellen Mond territory and inconsistencies, etc., etc. But they run the ball really well with Isaiah Spiller. He is really freaking good. Um, LSU, hmm, buddy. LSU has two weeks before they play Alabama after this game. What do you want the narrative to be going into that Alabama game? We are used to the narrative around that game being something, right? It could be fundamentally different for the first time in like eight or nine years, give or take a couple, in the mushy middle there. And then Auburn, I don't know, man. I just don't know. I just put a bunch of question marks next to Auburn's name in the rundown. I don't know. I would uh, politely plug my own stuff here. I just did a piece for Banner Society, basically gently – addressing the idea that there is actually a conspiracy in the Southeastern Conference with officials <laughs> to keep Auburn looking respectable <laughs> so their boosters don't drop $20 million in the middle of a recession and like cause a congressional investigation into college football as a whole because... I love it. This, I love it so much. This Auburn team... Should be one and four flat out. You could also make it. Mm-hmm. You could make it. It might be being too many. They could be two. I think two. I could hear two and three. Alex, all they right, could. They right, could. Right. I mean, bottom look. Bottom line: the Arkansas game is flat out a loss, right? So that one is Arkansas gets possession after that that obvious fumble. They kneel on the and ball. The game's, the game's over. over. Ole Miss at the very at the at the very least, if everything else happens the same way after the touchdown on the kickoff, they're tied going into overtime. Which then anything could happen with those two idiot offenses. The other one that I would point out, which is more of a momentum call, is in week one where Kentucky had an ob- I mean, really obvious-looking t- uh, touchdown off of a wildcat play uh, taken off the board. Then they throw a pick two plays later. That would have been, I think it was, oh, I want to say it was like a 14-8 lead or a 15-7 lead or something like that at the half. That, with Kentucky's offense, if you stay with me here, would have not only everything else stays the same, that puts Kentucky in at least it's a one-score lead going into the fourth. Most of the second half, Kentucky is a completely different beast when they can run with a lead, and that defense is not bad. 
All right. Yeah, I think Kentucky may be the most game script dependent team in the league. Absolutely. So okay. So to my point, this is a team that you could argue is definitely earns one's like without argument earns one loss against Arkansas. Could very well be one and four if the old Miss fumble isn't isn't is is called the right way, and damn near could be winless. So I think it's a complete and total inconsistent time bomb. The thing that scares me the most is the fact that Kevin Steele's defense isn't just pulling their asses out of the fire, which is what's happened the last couple of years. And in any other non-COVID year, this would be the like supernova red hot alert for job status change. Yeah, uh, with LSU, like LSU, I think LSU is going to score a bunch of points on Saturday. Like LSU fans, you've waited for decades for this. You got it. You have add water instant offense. Truly, I believe that. Because you saw what T.J. Finley did on Saturday night. I don't think T.J. Finley's going to start this game. I don't think T.J. Finley should start this game. The future is bright. It's Miles Brennan's job for now. Um, but you, I don't know. It, it, it's We are going to finally, I think, find out. Um, and then there's Mississippi State, Alabama. Oh, boy. Hmm. Um, oh boy. Let's get, let's get right, the bread let's, on the sandwich, though. Let's, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. On, on the field, teams are defending Mississippi State. A certain way. It is a bespoke game plan. It is something that the other 11 Pac-12 teams, for God knows what reason, didn't, or the other 10 10 of the other 11 didn't do. Didn't realize that you should do, which is rush three or fewer, drop eight. They can't beat you. Uh, Washington did it like five years in a row. Jimmy Lake said, we do the same thing. Washington State doesn't change their offense. I've said this basically every week. I don't know why else you played that way. Nobody does. It's weird. Everybody else has taken roughly the Washington game plan approximating, but roughly the Washington game plan applied it to their skill set, and it's worked. And I think Mississippi State's biggest problem beyond the drop eight stuff, beyond the there's no space to grab grass stuff, it's the fact that I think Mississippi State is struggling to protect. Texas A&M beat them over the head like a blunt object up front with three or four rushers. Richard, knowing that Nick Saban very much enjoys, and this is going to undersell the intricacies of what he does because I'm not as smart as he is, but knowing that Nick Saban very much enjoys dropping a lot of guys back and having them pattern match and play in sort of a zony situation anyway. Mm. Matchup zone. Let, let's assume that, that Mississippi State is going to see more of the, of the relative same this week from Alabama in terms of the way that they are covered. If you are Mississippi State and if you are Mike Leach, do you and can you even change anything? Is he so, capable of change? So here's the thing. I, I don't want to sit here and say Mike Leach is incapable of change. The man is where he is for a reason. The man has won the games he has won for a reason. I don't want to say they're incapable of change. Irresistant to change, too early to change, unable to change given you may not have the personnel to change, the practice time to change over the last bye week, maybe. Now, I, I, the, the funny thing is, as I say all of that, and then I look at Alabama's linebackers and safeties and think, I don't know, man. Mesh could make some hay there. How much hay can they make? I don't know a lot. But And, and I say it to say, I, I don't know for a fact that Saban's going to do the rush three thing. I think he is because everybody is. But that's sort of what I'm most interested in this game. Now, if he does, if he does or he doesn't, I think because of Alabama's uh, relative lack of in- unimpeachable back-end skill, talent, play so far this season, I think Mississippi State can make some hay. Um, 
I think Mississippi State may be able to lose this game by less than five touchdowns. Y'all remember, uh, y'all remember this thing called the Gator Grip? Anybody? Anybody know what I'm talking about? No. Okay, no. so this is a generate. You're dating yourself. Yeah, I am because when I was in college, like you would watch commercials on regular cable television while you were under the influence. And so, here's what a Gator Grip is, and a bunch of people are screaming in recognition right now. It was this supposed to be all-in-one tool that could change any bolt, any nut, any nail, any screw. Stay with me here. Because I've heard Mike Leach over the course of like three jobs in my career, three different conferences, and I read his book when everyone read his book. I've basically heard him try and describe his offense, even though it's very particularly good at just sort of like the one thing as a gator grip, which is that like it'll wrap itself around any situation and still be able to get the job done. The bottom line is that's not true because if you ever bought one of those gator grips and uh, the rest of you out here in the podcast land are just going to have to agree with me because my two co-hosts are lost at this metaphor, but it doesn't do, it is not an all-in-one solution. It does not solve for all X. It just simply doesn't. And that's okay to say because look, the triple option doesn't solve for X, right? It doesn't solve for every situation. There isn't an offense on the spectrum that solves for absolutely every situation. Whereas Richard feels uncomfortable saying this, I, being less informed about schematics <laughs> and, more, and, and I guess as informed about anecdotal sort of shit talk from coaches, would say that no, he does not adjust. He is a force works individual, which he, he's going to imply the force of what he thinks works, and, it, he, you know, if the door's stuck, push it harder. That's a leech mentality. It, it, Alex, if you want to transition to off-field, you are now looking at an individual who is running off more talented players than, he, than, than he's ever run off before. Because when he got to Wazoo, it wasn't a big deal because they were in the basement. When he got to Texas Tech, mm-hmm. they were 500-ish, and it didn't really matter because, again, they everyone was putting faith in the system. At Mississippi State, you cannot tell me that you can't do anything. Richard... Does it make any schematic sense if I hand you a Kylan Hill and I and you say I can't do anything with this? No, it doesn't make any sense given that offense, given what we saw week one, given that I think he's their best pass protector, one right. of maybe yes. their best pass no, protector. No, he is. He absolutely is. Well, then, so, um, so to that end, though, Richard, and that's where you have real problems. Yeah, right now. You're, go, go but on. you're also Richard. But but what if I told you since pass protection seems to be the issue because you're getting home without even sending four, that offensive linemen are now transferring? Well, I mean. How do you justify what he's doing? I don't. I don't understand. I, like, this, I guess this is this week's rant for me. <laughs> Joe Moorhead got fired because Joe Moorhead was told in in so many words by the power brokers at Mississippi State that you are not just here to beat Ole Miss and go to bowls, which is what he did both years that he was there. He beat Ole Miss and he went to bowls. Okay. He was told, you're not competing for division titles and, and SEC championships. Never mind the actual... Which, which they have never... Never mind the actual ever. record book of the Southeastern Conference or Mississippi State's entire existence. <laughs> That's what he was told. And he was fired for that. He was also fired because a guy who's now playing in the NFL punched a kid who just transferred out of the program because of Leach in the face. And he played quarterback. Oh, I about that. So... The logic here, I guess, is that Mississippi State is going to follow Mike Leach's blueprint to a T. So that being said, I will discuss Mississippi State as a relevant program in three years 
when they follow the Mike Leach plan of winning nine games in their fourth year and maybe upsetting someone that they shouldn't. Because guess what? But that LSU he, game has no value left. That LSU win yeah, is, I, is, is bunk. For multiple reasons, I swear to God, I will write my dissertation on LSU, Mississippi State, 2020. For the myriad... For, for I, Oh my God, I can't do this again. Because I will do it every week, I swear to God. Um, there, something's rotten in Denmark. And they got to figure it out. <laughs> Quickly. Because this is different from the Pac-12 where you can throw and throw and throw and and you can still throw and throw and throw. And even when it's not going well, everybody's okay with you throwing and throwing and throwing. I, I don't want to do the full-on retrograde sort of air, air quotes man ball thing, but people are going to be really fucking pissed off if you don't run the ball at some point. And it's so clear that you can't run the ball on light boxes. But this is the thing, and this is where the rock meets the hard place. He's not going to run the ball. And it's more than just because Kylan Hill is gone. He runs the only, only uncut, pure 100% grade A air raid left. They're not going to run the ball. If they do, I'll, I'll be the, me and, and, and Hal Mummy will be the most surprised people in America. I would just, I'll put it in terms state fans can understand, since most of them are also Saints fans. Congratulations, you just created your own Alvin Kamara. Yep, and mm-hmm. they can look forward to that for years. It's funny, uh, this year has felt to me, in a lot of respects, like the fastest year ever. Like, March feels like 20 minutes ago to me. But LSU played Mississippi State a month and two days ago as we record this. And that has broken this year because that feels like four years ago. And LSU's 2019 season feels like a generation ago. I can't even believe it's gonna that be tough for KJ. Year. It's going to be tough for KJ Costello to win the Heisman. But, you know, everybody, <laughs> yeah. it, it's all about the second half, guys. Sure. It is all about the second half. Uh, so there's a lot of anxiety in the SEC, not a lot new there. Uh, you guys want to talk about something optimistic and fun and on the rise and bouncy and, and exciting and all of that? Please do. Fantastic. This weekend, Coastal Carolina at Georgia State. Woo! Nooner. Nooner Eastern on ESPNU, two teams that we have talked about at some length on this show. Coastal is up to 20th in the AP poll this week. Ranked them past Ranked tense. Them. ED, baby. Ranked we did Coastal. That. Uh they are 65th in SP Plus, Coastal is, but I should note that they are 19th right now in estimated points added per play margin, uh, 24th on offense, 27th on defense. Georgia State, 92nd in SP Plus, but in the 30s in EPA margin. Uh, shout out Parker at Stats of War on Twitter for that fantastic Shout data. out mm-hmm. to Parker. Say my um, ass many a time. Yeah, he's, a, he's really great. You should check out his stuff. He's, he's a strongly recommended follow at Stats O War on Twitter. Uh, Georgia State has lost a couple games that they could have won to Louisiana and Arkansas State. They won one that they probably shouldn't have at Troy last week. And Coastal is just beating everybody, uh, including Louisiana. What are we looking for in this game, Richard? Uh, a Sunbelt showdown of significant interest to this show. Yeah, so we we talked about earlier in the season uh, – Georgia State's defense, right? And how Georgia State's defense was looking pretty good, early going, rounding a corner. Um, The charitable way to look at Georgia State's defense is that 
they are following a modern blueprint of uh, getting enough stops to to win ball games or at least keep them competitive, right? They played a few once more games this season. Um, just get a few stops, right? Um, I think that charity for me this week runs out because if you run out, if you let Coastal Carolina get 16-1-6 possessions in this game, which is what they've been averaging this season, oh, buddy, um, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea. No, probably not. Um, Coastal is interesting to me as like a model for how you can build a really good offense in a league like the Sunbelt or Conference USA, probably not the MAC, but certainly Sunbelt and Conference USA, just like with the recruiting resources that they have there. Uh, and, and Godfrey talked a little bit about recruiting at a school like that a few weeks ago on the show. But the thing that is notable about Coastal to me is that they are kind of just following like archetypes of players. Like their receivers are not that fast. If they were that fast, they probably would not be at Coastal. But they're big, and they're really good catchers. Javon Hiley, uh, I think, merits serious Blitnikoff Award consideration this year. And I'm a voter for that award, so I might consider him. Um, Their quarterback, Grayson McCall, whose health status I am not sure about. Richard talked about this a few weeks ago, too. Doesn't throw that hard, but the ball gets where it has to go. He's kind of like those Matt quarterbacks uh, that we were talking about earlier in the show, like Logan Woodside a couple years ago. Uh, And these guys are mean, like very mean with their play calls. Uh, I will do my best to describe this because podcasting is an audio medium. And I acknowledge it's a a visual medium, excuse me, uh, that sometimes it's hard to see. But so I won't be too intricate in this explanation, but they're just doing some fun stuff. Uh, Dan Casey on Twitter, a great follow as well at Coach Dan Casey. Friend of the program. Pointed out a few really good plays that they ran against Georgia Southern last week when they beat them 28-14. They have one where they would basically run something that looks like halfback angle, that little angle route that is so mean to run in Madden or NCAA, uh, where you have a a running back kind of make a V out of the backfield, cutting towards the middle of the field. And they would just alter that route once they had the linebackers confused and just turn it into like a go route right up the middle. And Georgia Southern was absolutely befuddled. They would do other stuff off of that, like stacked route concepts where they would just kind of counter, counter punch. They are fun and they are smart. And I really like watching them play offense. So what Alex is talking about is like running backs are not supposed to do that. Running backs are supposed to either speed out, check down, which is what you see when a running back sort of just spurts out into the flat if nobody's coming. They're supposed to do HB angle, right, which is a – it's not a vertical route. It's a breaking route. Um, or they're supposed to do like a crossing route, or they're supposed to do a normal ch- check down, get on the other side of the defensive line and sit down. Running backs are not supposed to bisect split safeties, right? They're not really supposed to do that. When they do that, you create problems in the defense, and the defense has to account for that in a different way. That's what Dan's talking about. That's what Alex is talking about. You know what I am? I'm a Georgia Southern fan, and you know what I am? I'm legitimately worried because of both of these programs. We haven't talked about state too much in this, but both of these programs possess, um, they are, look, nouveau riche, literally, right? They didn't exist when... And that's what Georgia Southern hates the most about Georgia State, right? uh, Among other things, yes. They didn't exist uh, a short while ago, but also they are sitting in talent-rich areas, and they have figured out individual respective systems for player evaluation in said talent-rich area. I don't mean to be a broken record, but what interests me the most is when you combine innovative play calling, what you're doing is then you're taking guys, like Alex said, who if they were faster, they'd be somewhere else, 
and creating compensation for that. That is very attractive when you go out and recruit the following cycle because you see people, or you as a recruit, see something that you can get excited about if you're not being recruited by the by the in-state power five program so rather than go to minnesota or rather than go a different route all i always use minnesota in that example i'm so sorry um rather than go a different route you can have fun playing at home so if i'm app and i'm georgia southern and honestly if i'm ull if i'm one of these other programs of this sort of equal weight be it in the Sun Belt of the conference usa these two programs figuring it out and coming into their own this is going to change the power balance, and these guys could be around for a little while. Uh, this is a two-and-a-half-point spread with Coastal as the favorite visiting the TED. Uh, that's at noon Eastern on Saturday. Godfrey, very quickly, just because this would actually be useful for me as a long-term resource, what is the uh, kind of like intelligent way to talk about who gets the acronym between Southern and State? It's, it, 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 it's <laughs> You're asking the wrong person because like – both of my parents are to Georgia Southern, and so they will still like they will. If I'm texting my parents about like how, like what Georgia Southern's doing, or or hey Southern won today. If you don't say so, first off, it's Southern. No one in Georgia yeah, says Georgia say. Southern, so we're, it's just Southern. Sorry, sorry to mm-hmm. Southern University, or um, in in Baton Rouge, and, and also sorry to Southern Miss, but it's just Southern in the state of Georgia, or it's GSU. Now, technically, I think in the style guide for the Sun Belt, GSU now belongs to state, but. All, again, I'm heavily influenced by one side, so all anyone ever calls them is state or something worse. I think it's Fair probably enough. an age thing because, like, uh, like all for some reason, all of my friends went to Georgia and are from Atlanta um, that are really my close friends. And sort of some of them did the, like, two-year Georgia State thing. Obviously, we friends of the program, Harry Lyles, Robbie Callen, shout out, also went to Georgia State. It is to say that Georgia State is sort of that, like, inner city public kind of commuter schooly type thing mm-hmm. now that when Godfrey was growing up in Georgia was not, if I, am I, my mom there? took night classes to, to uh, one, one summer or something to like help finish her masters. And like, that's what East Georgia state was. I don't even think they were the Panthers yet. I mean, that's the way people like in Statesboro and outside of Atlanta, it's like, they call it the night school or, or just state or it's like, it's definitely a pejorative. Thank you very much for that bit of information, Godfrey. I will use it going forward. Uh, I have nothing against Georgia little... State, for the record. <laughs> I, I don't want them ads. I, I don't want there. them ads. I, th- I think what he said there, and we can have our, our friends edit this, oh, is that he God. has a lot. He has a lot yeah, against a lot. Georgia State. Um, podcast business quickly, and then we're going to take some questions. Uh, in fact, we're going to take questions from both Twitter and the Discord. What's uh, Discord? Discord is a community uh, that we have set up that is kind of like Slack, but more fun uh, that you can join via patreon.com slash moon crew. We are in there frequently. It's a good way to get your question answered. And we're going to do some of that in a second. Uh, And also there's just a lot to talk about. I am currently looking into the gambling and fantasy room uh, that we have in the Discord. Uh, There is a lively discussion going on about political betting uh, on the outcomes of the election. Uh, I'm not going to say what it is because I don't believe in jinxing anything, but I have also gotten into this pool uh, this year. Yeah, and, in a way uh, that is frankly quite. And let me just say, let me just let me just say that I am hoping that uh, the outcome next week is good for people who are more vulnerable than me, and that we get get this country into a good place, uh, and also that we get my bank account into a good place as well, both via the economy and a result on this bet. And that's all we're going to say for now. But if you join the discord, you can learn more <laughs> uh, questions. Uh, 299, God, right? $3 a month. 
Uh, yep, three dollars a month, uh, and it's also a great way to support the show and anything we do. And we really appreciate it if anyone joins. Uh, the team in there, the people in there are great. Uh, Godfrey, the first question comes from Jordan in Discord. The question is, and I'm just going to quote because we have no reason not to. Quote: Southern Miss, what the fuck? End quote. Uh, <laughs> Southern Miss's interim coach is is. I also would love to know the answer to that question. So they have an interim interim coach, but now yeah. Godfrey. Please answer Jordan's question. This is in regard to the change that just occurred. Is that fair? To, is it? Or we're, we're, yes. Okay. Scotty yes. Walden I, is I now the head so. coach. And also them losing very badly Austin. to Liberty last week, but probably mostly about the Scotty Walden's now the head coach of Austin. Uh, he was yeah. previously, as of two days ago, the interim coach at Southern. Like six He's weeks after six weeks after Jay Hobson resigns. So, uh, hope no, not by the time most of you listen to this, but probably a day after most of you listen to this, I will have a piece up at Banner about this because – it is a really strange thing that like people who know about European soccer told me it's like, yeah, kind of like a European soccer thing. Like all of a sudden you have a manager leave in a season and now he's a manager of some other soccer team, you know, in yes. the middle of their season. That's not actually the case, but if you go, it's called a caretaker manager. There you go. Uh, that is not, I would not describe the situation as caretaker. I would just describe it as wholly unique and, and completely of 2020. So if you don't know, Austin P played a couple games because certain FCS conferences said, go out there, get your money if you need it. And Austin P is a program that needs it. So if you don't know, former Louisiana Lafayette head coach, Mark Hudspeth, he was also at Mississippi state for a long time as an assistant was kind of always vying to get that job. If Dan Mullen was actually ever going to go, Mullen ended up staying longer. Hudspeth kind of ran his course at ULL. He got fired slash resigned slash agreed to sever blah 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 whatever this this summer. <laughs> that set up Marquise Lovings as the interim coach. They played the three money games. They they got in, got their money, got their butts kicked by like Cincinnati and some other schools and got out. They went looking for a coach. Um, as I'm working, and they're on, playing in the spring too, right? Yes. So so here's the thing: their season's not over. So this is this is how weird this is. Southern Miss started playing, played one game had their coach basically resign because the coach and the AD and the school were all sort of at odds with one another, Jay Hobson. It wasn't a good situation. Southern needed to move on. Richard and I reported about some uh, less than great dealings that, that Hobson had had while he was at Southern Miss and trying to shoehorn Art Bryles in as a play caller. Um, so you have, two, you have two programs that are technically in season. The interim, co- the interim head coach at Southern Miss, Scotty Walden, has only coached what one game technically or two games? He might have been might have been three. three. It was three I, now. I, I okay, it was three, but it was it was not a lot. He has yeah. one win. And they had a cancellation. Yeah. Or two. So, so he has one win because I was talking to someone at Austin P about this. The, the one win that he has technically on his resume. He's had multiple COVID delays. They've had a ton of practices. He got COVID himself. He wasn't at their loss to Liberty last week because he had COVID himself. Right. Okay. So that's what it was that counts as the loss. So yeah, I knew it. Like Mm. the number of games coached is all wonky. So doesn't really have a body of work. However, was thought highly of, was on kind of all those like AFCA coaches under 40, 35, under 30, that like was considered to be a rising star. Austin P has a C, a full season in the FCS to play starting in February. They're still technically in season, although whatever, it's suspended until February. He, I'll go ahead and say all this now on the podcast. You guys get the exclusive, I guess. Had the offer in hand from Austin P after they looked at a couple other candidates, some of whom turned the job down. So he wasn't number one, but he gets the offer. As I understand it, goes to Southern Miss and says, hey, I know I'm a candidate here and I know I'm the interim. I've got this offer in hand. 
can you remove the interim tag? And basically Southern says, hey, thanks a lot, but we're not really in the market to do that right now. So he takes the bird in the hand. He is now going from an interim active coach to an active head coach of a team that's already lost three games. Does that make sense to anybody? It's The no, one yeah. reason it makes sense to me is that Austin P is probably – Austin P cannot possibly be in a weaker position than they were in some years ago when Will Healy, who was of a similar 30-ish age, like took that job. Like quite literally almost impossible. And, yes, and he's – I mean, they were terrible. They were maybe the worst team in all of Division One. They were on like a tw- – they eventually got on to like a 20-ish game losing streak. I could – if you look at a guy like Will Healy, who is now at Charlotte and doing pretty well and I think probably will find his way into a Power 5 coaching job at some point in his career – then I could see how Scotty Walden at a similar age at this point could be like, yeah, that's cool. I'll go do that. You're exactly right. Your instinct is exactly right, Alex. And that I think it was very smart that Austin P ultimately ended up on a guy more of the Will Healy mold than of the uh, Mark Hudspeth mold. I'll leave it at that. Um, the original question was Southern Miss, what the fuck? It's not Austin P. So <laughs> um, what the fuck at Southern Miss is hang tight. Uh, I don't think that Walden was, unless Walden were to run the table. Brett or create That's not going to happen. They weren't Brett going, like, Favre. given what had gone on, I think given, again, we've talked about this on the show a lot. You can't do a lot to change things, right? It is what it is, especially once the ship gets going. So I personally don't think Walden ever had a shot, not because he's not qualified, but because of the situation. It was all circumstantial. Don't freak out if you're a Southern Miss fan. Like, I think you've actually got a really, really good chance at landing a really good coach. The name that I keep hearing is Robert Gillespie at uh, North Carolina right now, who's who's from Hattiesburg. So there is interest in this job. The AD is really well thought of, and I don't ever say that because I think most ADs are reprehensible human beings. This is... This this thing could end up good. Have some faith. You're just going to have some patience. Also, this year's a total wash. Don't worry about this year at all. Complete wash. Uh, another one uh, from Discord, Chicken Sedan in Discord asked, Incredible was, name. Great name. Uh, was Joe Milton's performance on Saturday a sign of things to come or a product of Minnesota having a bad defense? And I'll add, and possibly COVID issues as well. Yes. The answer to the question is yes. Um, I think that we slept on the fact that Michigan got some shit together at the end of the season last year. Now, because of what happened against Ohio State, because of what happened against Alabama, no one's going to want to hear that, and I understand. But they had some things going at the end of last season. Um, My question, honestly, was whether or not they knew Joe Milton had this in him last year um, and whether a QB swap was at all ever part of the situation. But I get it because Shea Patterson was there. Um, The fumble issues, all the issues that they had early in the season uh, got better. They were iterative on Saturday night. And when I say iterative, I mean they stacked plays on top of, on top of plays. They ran like a buck sweep action with Milton um, for a pretty long run. I think it went to like the right side um, where both guards pull. I mean, they're just dancing bears. They pull. And then later in the game, they went back to it and they passed on it. And basically they had both guards pull in sort of a play action type way And the linebackers honored it so much so that they stepped up, red flow, followed the flow, and it literally pried open the throwing window, and Milton threw it right behind. Now, I think Milton's arm is, um, and it sucks because he is a black quarterback, so it's you're going to conflate what I'm about to say with the normal criticism of black uh, quarterbacks. I think Milton's arm has a ways to go. Jim Rat? Um, He missed, huh? Jim Rat? Yeah, um, Jim Rat, heady coach on the field. Um, I think he, I think his, I think his arm has, has a way to go. Um, I think he has some misses. 
um, in him. Um, and I think it needs to get better there. But I, and I don't, he's not this like, he's not Denard Robinson. He is a willing runner. Not at he's all. He's a capable runner, but he's not out here just going to turn it and burn it. Um, but I do think Josh Gaddis and Michigan has something here. And I cannot wait to see them continue to build through the season before they lose to Ohio State. Yeah. Jeff Perot. I had to on, do it. You know I had to do it. You absolutely had to do it. Uh, Jeff Perot on Twitter, uh, also a, a Discorder. Thank you, Jeff. Is it Perot? Is it Perot? Did we just get it right? Tweet at us. Go. Please. Yeah, Jeff, let us know if we're wrong. And I apologize if we are. He listened to the discussion uh, Jeff did about Dave Aranda last week on the show about him still having this coordinator brain and making overly conservative decisions as a result of that, maybe. Uh, he asked, is it possible to take a guy who can teach positions but was also a really good director of football ops or something like that and make him a head coach in a CEO mold uh, who looks at big picture stuff and kind of game management decisions but lets the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator operate very independently? Well, I think that you sort of have some of this with – uh, I, I think as we far as as far as we talk about like literal CEOs, I think you sort of already saw this with Joe Moglia at Coastal, right? And I mean mm-hmm. literal CEO, right? And he comes into a program at a time when that program was, I mean, coming into existence for lack of a better term, and and coming up. And I think because of that, you've got a lot of sort of businessy type decisions that you have to do when you go FCS to FBS in in a way that a guy like him can really give you something administratively to sort of steady the ship because it's a weird transition. It used to be a sort of fait accompli that you were going to be in the wilderness for a while. And we've seen what Coastal has built itself to. I think he's like nominally like an advisor or something. I don't know what they're calling it. He's like Coach Emeritus sort of. Um, so I would clarify a little bit for Jeff. DFO isn't really the job you see transition out, but but director of player personnel is. And director of player personnel is a job that is newish or newer than your OC or DC kind of career path. The one that jumps off in my head is that, um, and he isn't the only example, it's just that I've been forever reporting out a, a profile slash sort of like examination, is Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech was player personnel director for Nick Saban. He was never technically a coach for Nick Saban. Uh, player personnel directors are, if you don't know, so let me back up. A DFO is director of football operations. How? What time are we going to eat when we get off the bus? Yes. And is there like who? How? When is the charter going to get yeah, here? How are we and get and three of the players are allergic to this kind of blanket in the motel. And by the way, any other logistics thing that you can think of, of which there are 7 million, a DFO should actually be someone who would then lead some sort of army into war because they are the most organized (laughs) mastermind kind of elements. And on top of that, you sort of also have to take a thousand chess pieces and then move them quickly on the whims of your head coach or, you know, Hey, uh, can you find a projector at this Marriott at 11 p.m. on a Friday so we can play ACDC's Thunderstruck with clips of our defensive cutups in a in a ballroom so we can get our team fired up? Go, you have five minutes. Like that's a DFO's life, sport. okay? Uh, uh, player personnel is much more involved in recruiting and evaluation, and is I guess Richard, let's say like closer to a GM's role in the NFL. I mean, without sure. that power, yeah. is that? Yeah, yeah, because the sun, moon, and stars on roster control is always going to be head coach for yes. God knows how many myriad reasons. But analogous, I, honestly, it's analogous to the director of player personnel. Uh, uh, I think his name's Casario in New England with Bill. Yeah, yeah, Bill yeah, 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 is yeah. Bill final say on personnel, but right hand. 
you also end up spending more time with the head coach than even some of the coordinators do and some of the more senior like like on-field coaches so it you also spend more time with recruits yep talking to recruits i mean there are dpps who i like they go by coach blank yes like, oh, absolutely. oh did you talk to coach blank but he's not a coach he's a dpp so i would say dpp is probably a better career path in a non in a non-coaching capacity to getting to become a head coach yeah, the other thing is, and this is sort of just completely sort of boiling it down to football and sort of taking the administrative part off of it, hire special teams coaches. Get special teams coordinators and hire special teams coordinators as your head coaches. Uh, Joe Judge may screw this up for me, yeah. this line of thinking, um, but John Harbaugh won't hire special teams coaches. They know rosters edgewise in a way that other coaches don't have to learn personnel uh, edgewise. Tony Levine, who got all that talent for Tom Herman at Houston and then basically got Tom Herman the Texas job, was a special teams coach for, I believe it was Kevin Sumlin. Wow. Uh, We'll move quickly on a couple of these. Uh, Dan Klobuchar asked on Twitter, is the AAC's footprint sustainable? Pointing out that it goes from Tampa to Philly to Cincy down to Houston, as in Wichita for basketball. That's everything. East that's everything. Uh, I would say that I think the difficult thing for the AAC over the long haul is not so much the geographic disparity, but the differing institutional priorities of its many schools. We saw this with UConn, which hated what the AAC was going to do with basketball TV contracts, particularly for UConn's women basketball. Uh, and decided that they are just out of that conference. And Matt Brown has written some about this, both at SB Nation and Extra Points. UCF and Houston have a very particular set of needs, right? They want to show off and get national football publicity. They want to make New Year's Bowls. They want to maybe someday woo a power conference on the basis of football. Uh, East Carolina and Tulsa are just trying to make ends meet, you know, have financial sustainability and be able to play football and enjoy themselves. SMU, I have no idea what they even want in the world. They're their own animal, (laughs) et cetera, et cetera. And when you add in, that there aren't a lot of long-time rivalries and that the geography is pretty wide, uh, then that kind of takes away, it, it prevents you from having extra reasons to get over those other conflicts. So I think it does matter, but I don't think that it is the existential long-term threat to the AAC if there is one. I think that the bigger one is that the schools are just different kinds of schools. They want different things in the world. We could do, I mean, I could do six podcasts on this question, but the shortest answer is don't think about it in terms of geography. Think about it in terms of antitrust and business. If we don't see an AAC team break through into the four-team playoff format soon, it's going to destabilize the AAC because basically they're going to realize that they can't be what they aspire to be, and they're never going to be able to retain the coaching talent it takes to be an actual power conference. That's the simplest explanation I can give. Cool. Uh, last one that we'll answer. Robert Baker on Twitter asked uh, which game one stats or trends are like the easiest, the hardest to build on during these weird times that we are in. Uh, and specifically, which Big Ten teams kind of have their outlooks change based on that. I just want to say Michigan State against Rutgers fumbled six times yeah. and lost five and lost five of those fumbles. <laughs> we would generally expect that when you're fumbling you're going to lose about half. And maybe over the long haul, it's it's different, but there should be some regression to the mean. I would bet up on Michigan State. I think Michigan State's a little better than that score suggested. I don't think they're any good, but I think they're I would a say there were a lot of guys walking between dorms this week with footballs in hand. Yeah, I would think hands. so. I, yeah. Uh, I, so fumbles, though. I, I would not, you yeah. know, fumble recovery rate, not one that I would really bank on. Yeah, some of those were like punch outs, too. I mean, they, they worked on that this week. I can guarantee you. I, uh, yeah. I don't have a, as quite an intelligent addendum to that, except that a bunch of people added us over, like on Sunday after Michigan State lost. 
and tried to like kind of jump our asses. Like, they were all Michigan fans about like our investment in Michigan State this year. What we talked about last week, still bullish. Still think it's going to be a problem for Michigan in the coming years. Still love Mel <laughs> Tucker there. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is, and this is something to keep in mind for the Pac-12, is chunk plays. If there are, yeah. if you've got a game with a wide chunk play disparity, ahem, a certain team in week one against a certain other team, Mississippi State and LSU, <laughs> that can come back, right? There's a reason why those plays are chunk for the offense and for the defense. Very much so. Uh, time for a sneaky tasting menu and some vested interests. Uh, all times are God's time, central time. Uh, my first entry this week, 8.45 p.m. God's on Friday. The Hawaii Rainbow Warriors visiting Wyoming. Uh, this game is on FS1. I enjoyed looking at Hawaii's box score and figuring out you know, how they went about beating Fresno last week. But that game was not on television here, uh, and highlights have been very hard to come by. I'm just curious to watch Hawaii and see how they're doing. And I also have them at a pick uh, and that has since moved in my favor, creating some line value for me. 11 a.m., UTSA and FAU. Uh, UTSA, is a quarter- UTSA has played four quarterbacks this year. The one that they're going with, Frank Harris, has an absolute hand cannon. I mean, this guy absolutely spins the pill. Um, a lot of fun to see. Uh, they may be, and I don't know if this is actually true, but they may be one of the only teams in the country this year that can pull off a 12-game schedule. Who told y'all? They've already played s- seven games. Who told y'all? They've already played seven Godfrey, games. Felder. Godfrey, you told us. Uh, Fel- like, no, Felder actually, told Felder me. first. Felder told us first, of course. Godfrey, I want to put this question to you. No, he didn't. Why, he didn't tell me? Godfrey. <laughs> I, Felder Godfrey. Told me. Oh. I did a video with Felder about it. This is hurting. Godfrey, can I this ask you a question that you promised? Yes, go ahead. Alex. Can I ask you a question, Godfrey, that you promised to yeah, yeah, keep yeah. it? Because I, I think you could write a whole book on this and probably will at some point. But I'm going to ask you to keep it brief because we don't want to get too sidetracked from the tasting menu. Does UTSA success under Jeff Trailer say anything so far for the hire the high school legend from your state Dude. coaching approach? Or is it a little early for that? I, it is a little early. It might be like a morale dead cat bounce. Uh, it's also Texas. Like, yeah, so like, there's their diamond does. I, I want to look at this further. I'll leave it at that because I've seen this. Uh, <laughs> Google North Texas. Uh, if you want to see this go the, go the wrong way, um, what years were that? What, when was that, Richard? That uh, two coaches ago. It was Latrell minus that. So yeah. Anyway, um, I want to I want to give them more time, Alex. But it's it's an interesting idea to start looking at. Uh, also at new, uh, also at 11 a.m. Boston College Clemson um, for this reason Boston College plays a lot of man coverage anywhere from 40 to 50 percent depending on on who's charting what national average of that is roughly around 35 percent um, and they're also playing a lot of cover three they don't rotate their safeties a lot like what they show at the snap is about what they're about to run Clemson Ooh. has a God Clemson may have a man coverage problem. Let's say that, right? Um, I'm not saying Boston College is going to win this football game, but Clemson does not have a wide receiver right now as of yet who I think can consistently win in one-on-one matchups in man coverage like they are going to need to win two games in January. Clemson wide receivers are very good. Dabo is a very good wide receivers coach. They breed wide receivers. It doesn't mean it's not going to happen this season. I'm saying to date, I'm saying to date, October 28th, it is something that I am looking for in this game specifically. Justin Ross uh, gets hurt before the season. 
and and when you lose that, you sort of they're, they're playing a little bit differently on offense. And Amari Rodgers and Travis Etienne, they're androids and yard after the catch monsters, and that's how they've been making a lot of their hay. Or Trevor dicing up zone like a Christmas ham. Richard, didn't, yeah, I'm, didn't that oh, amount of man coverage, isn't that kind of similar to what he was doing when he was D.C. at Ohio State? Yeah, it's literally Ohio State. Okay, I mean, it because is, like... It's damn near carbon copy Ohio Right, State. so people were laughing about this in the offseason. They were like, well, he can't just line up and, and play man like he did at Ohio State. And he's doing that at B.C. and they're 4-2. He, four he and two. sure is. They're 4-2. He sure is. Um, it, it's interesting. I'm looking at Jeff Halfley and I'm, I'm liking what I'm seeing. Again, weird, not dude. saying they're going to win. So saying I'm looking at something interesting in this game. So weird. Yeah, I'm Boston College plus 32 and a half in that game. Uh, though, obviously, I don't think. Again, I'm not saying they're going to win. Yeah. Uh, at 1 p.m. God's time. And this is a game that if you don't have ESPN Plus might compel you to subscribe to ESPN Plus, uh, as I actually did the other day. Uh, UCF at Houston. I'm on the under and I got it too early. I should have waited wow. longer. I'm under uh-huh. seven. 78 it's up to like 83 which is so high uh I, that's got to be the highest of the year in, in fbs ba- i mean basically this appears to be banking on someone scoring five to seven touchdowns and five to six touchdowns and losing is is sort of what that total banks on once once it is up in the 80s like that uh i'm just gonna sit back and enjoy the ride honestly i mean i i think that it could go very much either way. Uh, it's I think it's a pretty tight spread, uh, and as I look at it, it's Houston as a two and a half point dog at home. So so it's implied that this is literally going to be like a forty two to forty football. Game. Yeah, I mean I think that they are expecting that they, exactly a, a tame version of this game would be like forty three forty something like that. So that'll be fun uh, at six p.m. God's time. Richard and I have a differing view on this game, I suspect. Yes. Uh, Charlotte plus 10.5 at Duke. I think Charlotte could money line that and just win, but uh, you don't think that. I have misgivings about how Charlotte will be able to block Duke's front. I Fair have enough. some misgivings about how Charlotte will be able to block Duke's front. Fair enough. Godfrey, you have anything that you're eagerly looking forward to this week? I'll tell you, I had one that I was looking forward to, What's but that? it's not happening. What's, oh, oh, well, I was oh, kind, right. I was going to look forward. I was kind of looking forward to seeing Wisconsin against Nebraska and Wisconsin having a you know new and good quarterback in Graham Mertz. Uh, COVID has sidelined that game. That game is not happening. Hope everyone is well. Uh, two notes from me on that. One, Wisconsin as a state is a co- is the hottest COVID hot zone in the country right now. Turns out it's really hard to have college sports in a society that is not functioning properly. Hmm. And two, the big the Big Ten trying to do eight games in eight weeks after this whole like backtrack thing, it's just it's just not going to work. But anyway, it's a. Look. I mean, there's there, oh, oh, hold on a second because they like I think a uh, friend of the program Chris Vanini tweeted about this. There is a very real possibility that they don't play next week either. Yeah, and then yeah. you get into and like I, okay, now I'm going to get sort of conspiracy theorist here like. It, it let's let's game this out and let's say a couple of the teams sort of have these issues. Let's say the Pac-12 has these issues too. How are you conducting a legitimate playoff? Seriously, you're not. How are you conducting a legitimate playoff? You're not. Right. You never were. But let's just hope for one. Granted, maybe maybe you never were in 2019, 18, or seven. No, I don't. I don't but. mean it quite that dramatic. I'm not being that emo. I'm just saying, like this year, you were never like it, the, the moment COVID happened, the, the playoff legitimacy was going to be just next to nothing. Let's just hope it's, you know, number one BYU against number four Army, number two Boise against number three Cincinnati. Um, Alex, I have two games, and since you guys went so niche this week, I'm very proud of you both. 
my G5-ness is rubbing off. I'm actually going to go very, very, very uh, like off-brand and just kind of talk about two action movies, and that's the anxiety around Penn State going into Ohio State. I just want to see how much they lose by and how. <laughs> well, I think that game's in Happy Valley. About that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, we almost, almost forgot about it. Yeah, yeah. I'm really just curious to see how much they lose by and in the way in which they do it, um, specifically what that offense looks like. And then the other one, if you're looking for just escapist fun in the middle of COVID, Texas is playing in Oklahoma State, y'all. I mean, like that that game has a particular sort of quality and identity to it. And with Oklahoma State being in this position versus Texas. I don't know if that shifts anything. I just know it's probably going to come down to like, it's going to go possession for possession. And, and if, you know, if God has any sympathy on us, we'll get like a six overtime action there. There are other, there are two other sort of SEC games near and dear to my heart. Obviously, you know, one, but the other one, I think Georgia is going to, you want to see the knives out Woo! Georgia and Kentucky. I, I said this on, on, on the show on Monday, man, I don't know how Kentucky scores an offensive touchdown nope. in this game. It, then we will have gone eight quarters uh, between Kentucky scoring offensive touchdowns against Georgia. Florida's defense has an opportunity to look righter than they may actually be against Missouri. Missouri does not have a ton of explosive plays. If Florida does what I think Florida can, can and should do, which is get out to a lead, I don't know what Mizzou is going to look like chasing a game. Now, on the other side of the coin, they did it against LSU. So it got up in the 40s there. So I don't know. Uh, with a Missouri offense that is very patient, given that they ripped off a 22-play drive on Saturday, Florida maybe could look right. That doesn't mean they are right. It means they may look right. Then again, they've had two weeks off for COVID circumstances. I want to call one shot and then I'm done. Um, it's not a game I'm going to watch. It's a box score I'm going to monitor for coaching reasons. We could be back here next week talking about an 0-2 Iowa, given that offseason. We're going to be talking about Iowa. Uh, I am also kind of morbidly curious about the khaki bowl, Ole Miss at Vandy. Dear God. Uh, Godfrey has described Vanderbilt. <laughs> or, excuse me. Godfrey has just, he has described Ole Miss as a dead body wrapped in gunpowder up against just a regular dead body. Uh, and I'm curious how that will go. Uh Wow, I can't believe I can't believe I just advised the listeners That's to terrible. I'm not advising I'm not advising you to do anything. I'm not I'm, saying, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I'm just going to look at the score. Uh, anyway, Richard Johnson, where can the people find you? Pick, you know, and have some fun with it. Pick at least two of like the 15 places where you are this year. <laughs> pick, pick two of the jobs. Okay. Uh, one, I am uh, doing videos with our buddy, Michael Felder, previously referenced on this podcast. Um, where can I find those? Doing, we are doing scheme videos. They're on Twitter at Stadium's Twitter account. Uh, we're having a lot of fun with those. Uh, I love, love chopping it up with Felder. Also, me and Alex are giving bad NFL picks on Odds Checker <laughs> US every week. We are getting absolutely fleeced on the NFL. NFL stuff sucks to bet. Don't do it. Uh, but otherwise, I am on Twitter at RJ underscore rights and maybe a few other places coming up soon. Ooh, very exciting. Stephen Godfrey, where can the people find you? At 38Godfrey on Twitter and Instagram, bannersociety.com. Thank you, gentlemen. And you can find me on this podcast. And like Richard said, you can find us betting on the NFL at Odds Checker US. Uh, betting on the NFL, I, I really can't even begin to describe how hard it is. Uh, and But I think that you should watch our videos anyway because we have fun. And if you like this podcast, it's like not a visual, as, it's a visual as version of this podcast. As hard as it is, it's not even as hard as it is like deeply unfun. It's like it's it's a grind. It's a grind. It's a grind. Well, you've sold me uh, on it. 
which is why which is why we need to make it fun uh encouraging people to take risks on nfl games very exciting uh thank you very much for listening folks we'll see you on sunday great